Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All Hello. on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roos. Each week, we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, leaders, clinicians and founders that are changing the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself called PopDoc. We are improving access to diagnostics by enabling smartphones to do blood testing. Um, I'm passionate about the individuals and companies that are changing the world. Each week, we will bring you a selection of different people, and I would just like to say thank you very much to everyone who's listening live on UK Health Radio. It's great to have you. Thanks also to anyone watching on YouTube or listening on demand um, through Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Google Podcasts. Without you guys listening, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a show. So thank you very much. Um, as regular listeners know, the show is supported by ZeroZilchZip.co.uk. ZeroZilchZip is the UK's leading online curated no alcohol drinks retailer. It's kind of quite a mouthful, but the great thing about what they do is they have variety boxes. So beers, wines, ciders, spirits. If you're thinking about trying to you know, reduce what you're drinking alcohol-wise, it's a great place to go. Um, so I can highly recommend it. Also, at some point, we will be doing the um, catchily titled, we still need a better name for this, catchily titled non-alcoholic drink of the week review, which we will, we will do that, but, but we need a better name. Anyway, on to today's guest. So today's guest is a first for the show. We've never had anyone on the show who's run hospitals. So today's, is it an, today's guest is an NHS veteran. He's run multiple hospitals across the UK. He's now MD, Managing Director of Teletracking. Um, Teletracking has a proprietary uh, bed tracking system software. Now, I know that, you know, companies like this is one of the reasons why we started the show, to be quite frank, because the, the, the concept of bed tracking software on the face of it is not necessarily like, doesn't, it's not massively glamorous. However, however, and this is why we do the show, is because it's effectively critical to <laughs> anyone's interaction with a hospital, right? In the sense of when you turn up to A&E and there's a big queue, well, the queue might be shorter if there were available beds. And so a system that accurate, and, and if you think about how many beds are in play across the NHS, you know, every single day, you're talking about a huge, huge potential problem if you cannot um, accurately identify empty beds and put people into those beds. And so that is what teletracking does. And, and we always do a pre-show call. And some of the statistics and some of the outcomes that teletracking have, have achieved is, is really amazing. And actually, to be quite honest, I'm not quite sure why this isn't all over the front pages of, of the news, but whatever. It's, it, I think it's super exciting. And Neil, so Neil Griffiths is our guest today, Managing Director of Teletracking. Welcome to the show, Neil. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Good. I'm sorry for the, um, well, basically my Wi-Fi went down. So there was a bit of a panic at the beginning of the show, but we're all, we're operating on um, full steam, full steam ahead. So um, before we get into the show, as I said on the pre-show call, um, and as regular listeners will know, we do the show in three parts. So the first part is kind of like an origins. And again, like I said, you're the first person that we've had on the show that's actually run a hospital. And I think that that is a super unique 
experience. And obviously, because everyone listening's probably been in a hospital, but pretty sure no one knows how they work. So um, behind the scenes. So I think that that would be super interesting. The middle bit is all around the amazing things you're doing, teletracking, which to be quite honest, are, I think they are amazing. And then the, the, net, the final bit is all around what, what the future holds. Um, so the um, we, we will we will we will start there. So before we get into it, I'm going to do the drinks review of the week. Now today the drink is called a Nista Smoky Oak Whiskey. So obviously it's not an alcoholic whiskey, but it is a whiskey that I mixed with the soda water. Really smoky, really nice, very refreshing. We had a lovely mocktail in the garden, so I can highly recommend it. We put it out on the socials as well if you want to have a lick. Um, so let's kick off the show. So Neil, why don't you talk to us about your pathway, I guess, through the NHS and how you came to be running hospitals and and I think particularly some of the challenges that people may not realize actually happen, I think is really interesting because I'm sure everyone has been through the situation where you go to hospital and there's things you moan about and you know that type of thing. But I bet you there's a whole bunch of stuff that people just have no idea happens in a hospital that is absolutely critical and people just have no clue whatsoever. Spend the whole show talking about that. Um, so, um, yeah, just a bit about my, I suppose, how I got into to, to healthcare. Um, my, my father actually worked in the NHS, was 40, maybe even towards 50 years in the NHS and was a highly regarded manager of hospitals, actually. So I've been um, quite interested in the NHS from a very early age. I remember reading his health service journals when I was, uh, you know, still at school and got quite interested in, in the public sector, the NHS and, and all that he was doing. And, um, and that led me to sort of follow that path, really. So I, I did politics at university, went to Bristol and then uh, moved into the NHS from, from there. I wasn't a national trainee, I was a local trainee and I, I, I started my career working at Lewisham Hospital in, in South London. So take 30 years later, um, I've, I've um, you know, spent all of, all of that time working in healthcare. The majority of it was in the NHS. So I, I was, uh, my last position in the NHS was as the Deputy Chief Executive at UCH, which is a large, well-known teaching hospital in, in central London, or North Central London. Um, and... Um, I suppose in terms of the challenges question that you 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 you, you pose, I mean, I'll, I'll talk a bit about my experience at UCH, which which some of that. I mean, I think the for a great organisation that, that that UCH is, it's six six hospitals, um, you know, all very busy hospitals, specialist um, specialist care being provided, local care being provided, um, eight thousand or so staff, probably more staff now, but certainly you know, thousands of staff working in that environment and what you I was leading the transformation program there but and what we were trying to transform in a sense was the patient and staff experience on a day-to-day -day basis the, the, the trust had become quite inefficient on some of its administrative processes its operational processes become overly complicated um, you know simple things like you know sending out letters to patients became ridiculously letter written 2,000 different times, sent out. And, you know, it was clearly, it's clearly something that needed to change. So the work I was doing there was trying to get a grip on, if you like, I mean, standardising some processes that would make it easier for clinicians, basically, to save time, 
big part of that uh, uh, was also looking at embracing digital, doing things digitally. Um, mm-hmm. And as part of that was to also um, uh, provide, um, I suppose, new sources of data that would help the trust run on a, on a day-to-day basis in, in a better way. Um, and that's actually how I came across, came across tele-tracking when I was running the managing director we we work work with hospitals around the world actually, but um, also in the NHS, trying to tackle um, all those um, important underpinning elements around patient flow in the world of efficiency, good use of beds. No, that was a, a fantastic answer. So, I, what I just want to go back a little bit to. So, obviously, there's all you have hospitals; they're very large. It, you know, that in and of itself, each hospital, like you said, what is it, 8,000 people? Is that right? Some are bigger than that. I mean, some, some are bigger than 12,000 more. Right. That in of itself is a massive company, yeah. right? <laughs> Basically, like that's, if you have a company and it's got 8,000 to 12,000 people in it, that is a very, very large company. And so yeah. it, it inevitably, someone has to run those, right? You need a CEO or whatever the name is. You need a captain of the ship. Yeah. Right? You couldn't, you know, but, and no one necessarily gives, CEOs of companies that hard a time for being a CEO but I, I, I get the sense sometimes that people that run hospitals get a bit of a rough deal you know they're sort of put in a box as an administrator you yeah, know yeah. and they're sort of I don't know they're, they're almost tolerated as opposed to sort of celebrated what, what I, I'm not I don't want to I'm not trying to sort of provoke or anything but I'm just interested because there always obviously has to be someone that runs a company of 8,000 people we can't just not have someone in that role yeah, no, it's a fair, and I think no, it's a fair, a fair point. And I think that you know NHS management has developed a, 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 in a huge way over the last twenty years. I would, I would say, and I think some of the best managers and leaders I've worked with in my career are in the NHS. There's no doubt about it because it's a very complicated, high-profile system. It doesn't, it's not, it's not. Uh, it operates in a political environment. There's high expectations. There's a lot of risk. Increasing demand quality issues, you, you, you name it. Now, to, 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 to manage all of that takes takes a lot of skill, takes a lot of re- resilience, you know, perseverance. Mm-hmm. You've got to be thoughtful. Whilst you're leading 8,000 or 10,000 or whatever it is, you've got to support staff. You've got to, you know, it's not just giving directions and instructions. That's not how it works. You've got to work with people. Uh, and that can be hard, you know, when you're also set quite, of targets to meet you now whether that's financial targets or waiting times you know those two there's pressure there mm. so um, constant um const- constant juggling act in a sense trying to get the right balance trying to get the right tone and it's you know it's difficult and places that have done that extraordinarily well tend to have managers who've been there a long time they tend okay. to be in the position quite a much there's stability there's consistency which i think is important there's also respect and trust that's developed over time, you know, sensible involvement in terms of decision-making, um, doing the right things, you know, explaining what you're doing. All of those things which sound, sound sort of obvious, but it can be quite difficult to do when you're under pressure. And I think that's what the, the, the good, you know, the good and well-run hospitals tend to do. And, and most of them are, by the way. I mean, they're, they're, it's, they are extremely, extremely challenged, as I've said. And some, some also... You know, more difficult in certain parts of the country than you know London's got quite a lot of resources it may be very different in Cornwall for example there's, right. there's less resource and it's different set of challenges but I've got huge respect for, for NHS management and leaders and you know, I know what it's like it's very difficult that being said 
that being said, I do think that there are that there are um, opportunities for the NHS to work differently and to and to to look at the private sector and look at you know how you can embrace digital and I think potentially to do it quicker. It's very this is very slow at adopting things. It's very complicated. It's down. It's bureaucratic. You've got lots of committees you need to you need to work through, and some of that you just have to have to do. But some of it I think do does do get in the way of innovation and risk taking. It's not risk taking that's you know as you, as you would know in the financial sector. It's doing something different. That's yeah, risk. I think you've got to take this to, to, to move things on. And certainly, what I've seen well, in my world, there's things that need to change in terms of how people manage pets for sure. So, right, I think risk is an interesting one, right? Because there's there's risk of doing nothing, and then there's risk associated yeah. with doing something. And it's sort yeah. of, you know, if you don't do anything, then by definition, nothing is going to change, yeah. right? And yeah. you know, all, all systems trend towards atrophy at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of yeah. so. Um, but going back, because I think that, that you're the, the, one of the reasons why I was so excited to get you on the show is is you have, I think, what, a very unique viewpoint, having worked in the system over a period of, you know, from probably from the beginning of when, quote, digital, I guess, started to be a thing, kind yeah, of, yeah. Um, yeah. through to now where it's a lot more of a thing. <laughs> but, you know, and but like you say, there's still a long way to go. So, like, when you were involved in the, uh, when the first thing started to come and the, people were talking about sort of digital, what were the problem areas that you were most excited about that you thought that this could help with this sort of digitization or digital transformation or whatever? Like what, what were the things where you were like, Oh my goodness, like number one, number two, number three, that would be amazing for those things. I think the, um, the, the, the key thing, and you used, used, um, you know, used as an example. I think when I was there, it had, at least 190, if not more, different IT systems. Oh, oh wow. Huge number, a huge number that had developed over time, all doing... Wow. In, but they were, there were some in departments doing stuff. There was some, um, you know, in associated research departments doing stuff. You know, so it was a, it was a bit of a, a, bit of a com- complicated mess, really. So the, so the first task was, well, can, that surely needs to be... There needs to be less. There needs to be more integration. There needs to be an easier way to manage that, and that's where we we went down at the time down the path of like EMR and went with Epic, and, and, and there's pros and cons with that. But, but I think it's the right thing to do to have less systems that, that then have you then minimise the risk in terms of there being mistakes or things missed or you know, not working and making sense of it. So that was one thing. And then when you start to use these. Um, you know, more streamlined systems. You can then start to look at, um, you know, standardizing things, trying to do things in the same way, trying to trying to drive some standards up as a result through using the IT in, in that way. And that was that was certainly what we intended to, to do as well. Um, so encouraging, where possible, local um, ownership, if you like, of where there may need to be some changes to, to, to the infrastructure and. And what have you? So that's that was okay. really. And, and so, uh, oh, go on. Sorry. One other thing I think linked to that, the thing that that um, that you, we didn't do very well at the time was was patient um, communication, patient patient whether it be appointments, whether it be letters, whether it be a dialogue, hopeless. So actually, that was a big thing, and I think that really that really helped. And um, at what point did you? Well, so. 
let's I think we can sort of start to transition a little bit to the to the teletracking story. Yeah. And so I'm guessing, but I don't know, so please correct me, that bed utilization has always been a thing in the system. I, I don't know, right? But I'm guessing even before digital even yeah. was a thing, right? Yeah. And, and so at what point did you, was it something that was always very important for you? Like, you know, throughout your career, this concept was something that was a key indicator of, of, of health, of a healthy hospital or how, how did it sort of. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. So um, yes, bed utilization has always been a thing. It tends to perhaps focus that comes on length of stay or whatever. There's other ways you can look at it, but yes, it's always been a thing. Beds, um, uh, beds is, um, uh, has been, you know, the, well, the number of beds has always been um, a bit of a, a challenge in it, yes, and that's often looked at in terms of, you know, how number of beds it's got. Um, so yeah. It was a thing. Um, I got quite interested in um, doing, understanding lean processes. Okay. Uh, understanding a bit about lean processes, understanding how complicated uh, factory systems work. Uh, right. When you look at how they operate and then the support they have from digital, it struck me that, well, hang on, why, why doesn't a hospital, which effectively has got very many complicated processes, why does that not have the same sophisticated approach to managing capacity? Mm-hmm. There's a huge number of similarities. I'm not saying hospitals are factories, but there are certain... <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think we've hit on something really interesting there, which is... Um, well, again, sample of one, data point one. So please don't take this any other way. But there, sh- there is no reason why any organization in any sector shouldn't seek to learn from other sectors and other organizations in order to improve itself. Just because it's a m- hospital and that doesn't mean there, isn't, there aren't elements of other things. And I, I, I feel like potentially, you know, through the years, there's been a bit of a, well, we're not a factory, ergo, that sector has nothing to offer to us. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, and often professionals don't like thinking in those terms. I get, completely get that. But I also look at, and what we see, is the amount of time that goes in, in for individual people going around hospitals and, and walking around, trying to count where there are empty beds, endless bed meetings, trying to work out how you can place patients based on information that's collected on bits of paper. It, that doesn't seem to be terribly a, a terribly sensible way to manage very important precious capacity. Surely right. there's a better way. Now, there's also yeah. an important distinction here between most hospitals obviously have got a patient administration system. That will be where beds are. That's fine. It will just be a static thing. It will tell the side. It doesn't help you manage flow in a much more uh, dynamic way. We can do providing automation new sources of data that allow you to be much more um, thoughtful and accurate in terms of how you place patients, put them in the right bed of of asking um, to make better use of your capacity. And what we've also discovered, this is is quite interesting, is most hospitals do not know the amount of delay uh, that exists between patient admissions in beds. So patient A bed, the next patient comes into a bed. How long is the time wasted between those two admissions? It's not, okay. it's not measured. So it's, really? It's just not measured? It's not measured. So it's, it's sort of hidden. Right? Now, when you think most places, and I've been in the situation, I think, oh, it's not that, can't be that long. It's probably an hour or something. 
you know, it wouldn't really know you'd be guessing. When you start to look at it, and we've done that with some of our clients, can be up to, scary, up to eight hours where the bed is not empty. Wow. So the per- so there's like, okay, we, w- there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very excited to do it in the next part of the show. So let's break for the, we're going to take two minutes for the commercial break. And then we'll be back with Neil Griffiths from Teletracking, Managing Director of Teletracking. And we will dig into this stuff because I want to take a step back and just very clearly for everyone listening, make sure we're all on the same pages. Why, why does it matter? Why does it matter that you need to understand about beds as a unit? Of efficiency in a hospital i think it's sort of common sense but i do think that there's probably something that we m- many people listening including myself don't quite really get because it's almost like a unit of currency a unit of efficiency within a hospital right because yeah. the bed is sort of a standard unit anyway my producer's kind of making very urgent signs that we have to go to commercial break so we'll be back in two minutes with Neil griffiths from teletracking uk health radio the station that makes you feel good It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchship.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% using the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchship.co.uk because nothing's better. station that makes you feel good hello and welcome back to this week's health tech hour with me steve roost and neil griffiths the managing director of teletracking uh, teletracking our market leader i believe in bed utilization bed tracking and um we're just about to try and unpack all of that so before the break neil i kind of asked like i do on the show a lot like kind of asked like a stupid question which is sort of like why inherently does it matter that a hospital needs to understand where beds are when are they being used how are they being used like why is that so important well uh, there are a couple couple of reasons the probably the most important is that the 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 Clinical teams, if you like, center around the treatment of the patient, and the patient is in a in a in a bed. You know, so there's a there's a pr- very practical um, use of you know clinicians' time, resources that a ward would deploy, you know, around the bed. That's how it is. That's how it works. So it's crucially important that the right patient is in the right bed, so the clinicians can maximize the amount of time they're then looking after those patients. There are stories if you have outliers, and that's what I tend to happen is patients get placed all over, you know, all over the hospital because they get put in the next bed that's available, which means clinicians have to wander around the whole of the hospital trying to find patients, which is not a terribly good use of their time. It's also not a very safe way to care for patients if you've got you know, an elderly patient sitting on a, a an award that's not appropriate for their, their condition. So there's a there's a quality reason, there's a safety reason that really is crucial that you get patients in the right at the first time of asking that's the most important thing Mm -hmm. second i would say is in any in in terms of then it's a measure of good use of resources and efficiency it it is a proxy length of stay i mentioned earlier but um you know that is a measure of how effective care is being provided we want patients to be at home not in hospitals so the less time they're in hospital the better 
So therefore, you know, making sure that you're getting maximum use of that bed is a sensible thing to do. So I think it's a practical resource reason as well. So that's and that's why it's important. Right. And presumably, you know, as backlogs increase, you know, and as complexities around hospital care increase because you you know, isolate COVID patients off into one bit and another bit, and th- those yeah. pressures make this type of thing yeah. even more important. Well, it's more, it's quite com- it's complex, isn't it? Because different specialties will have different um, expectations of length of stay, they'll have different arrangements in terms of throughput, so you've got to understand that. You're quite right that COVID has put restrictions on which patients can go where, so you've got to understand that. You know, so it's a complicated picture, and I, I'm firmly of the view that such a complicated set of constraints, in a sense, needs a very sophisticated approach to it because it you know, it, it needs that sort of level of thought. It is yeah. logical to me that you would do that rather than have you know manual people based processes that sort of aren't accurate. You know? Well, yeah. So just just so I understand the scale of these things like in the hospital that you were running when it was eight thousand people i think you said was that the uclh one i can't remember what you said um how many beds are there what are we talking about number of beds roughly well, there's six hospitals i think in the main tower i think there was 400 or so 400 or so beds and then in each other hospital. so we probably had about a thousand probably about a thousand beds a thousand beds a typical a typical I mean, UCLH is a teaching hospital, but I would say a typical general hospital would have around 600 beds there or thereabouts. And increasingly now you've got organisations that run more than one district general hospital, so you would have a trust that would typically you know, be responsible for 1,800 beds. Easy, easy. Right. And each one of those beds will maybe be being used multiple times by different people during the same 24-hour cycle, which is a huge amount of data points to track. Like, and so and so I don't know if this is true. Well, this is what you said, but I just want to just double check because when we had our pre-show production call, it kind of blew me away. But I, I, unless you're using something like teletracking, what our, how are hospitals currently doing this? Because you sort of indicated that it was kind of manual, which yeah. I was pretty shocked about. But yeah, I don't know. No, it's, t- it's, it's, it's quite typical for, for you know, Hospitals will have a central patient administration system, patient demographics and name and address and all the rest of it will be in there and their wards will be in there and, and that's a static look at where beds are, if you like. It's not often accurate who's in those beds because the system is always delaying in terms of how you use that information. But there's certainly no, underneath that, um, any um, further granularity or detail about actually the movement of patients through the system. So you've got no idea, you know, and, and I think just to pick two simple things, porters and bed cleaners do very, as you said earlier in your intro, you know, the sort of unglamorous end, if you like, of, of, of the importance of running a hospital, but really fundamental to flow. There's no linkage in terms of how they are best used to make sure patients get through and get um, um, admitted and discharged as, as quickly as possible. There's no link to that. There's no manual requests after the phone, often with bits of paper. So you get a picture of it. It's, it's a very complicated, inefficient process that's, that's often lagging behind where it needs to be. So hence yeah. you then have patients um, and, and and our view is that, that surely needs to be needs to be changed. So what we would simply simply say that you know good should look like where you would have some elements of um Predictability, that's quite important, um, mm-hmm. but also automation, certainly around 
booking a porter and booking a victim that dramatically reduces the time that's wasted to patients. I can quote some numbers. I can quote some numbers if you... If yeah, well, well, first of all, before we get into the results, um, or like, yeah, just give us a simplistic overview of how tele-tracking addresses those issues. Because I know that you've got a range of different services and it'd just be helpful at a kind of a, you know, top line level just to understand how, just how it works. Yeah. Okay, so we, we have a, um, a, a platform, an IT platform that, that covers pre-admission, admission and discharge. And we can work across a hospital or a hospital system. What we will do is provide um, through using the software some, uh, I suppose it sim- simply is visibility in real time as to what is going on with the patient, patient admission. Uh, that creates the um, data and information. We would say that that data and information then needs to be put into one facility, mm-hmm. like a command centre or a coordination centre or a control room. But you start to then put, put, pull all that visibility together and the information to get a sense of what's happening with patient movements to your hospital. So you can start to make much better operational decisions as a result of seeing this information. You can then rely on the automation to drive out where this might become available. And then you can place patients more quickly when they need to get into a bed. Now, um, it, it, at one level, it's, it's fairly straightforward. I don't think it's... it's in many industries, use this sort of stuff. So healthcare, it's quite, it's quite new. Um, and what we would also do, using that, if you like, one version of the truth, we create this one version of the truth around beds, is you then provide different perspectives or different, uh, different perspectives of information to uh, the board managers, the bed managers, the chief executive, so everyone's working to the same picture. And that can have a dramatic impact on performance um, and decision-making, and it becomes much, a much more dynamic, safer system. The other um, benefit I think we certainly see is it gets, this, this gets rid of phone calls. It gets rid of okay. quite a stressful environment of constantly trying to find out what's... That doesn't... You know, our hospitals tend to be calmer hospitals. <laughs> all, okay. all, done, all done through your software. Everything okay. and the staff is very... Obviously, get very stressed in... In, the, in your high pressure environments, so yeah, so that's what the platform that's what the platform does. Um, but the technology is one thing we've developed developed that over thirty years. What we also do is we've got a good sense of what operationally needs to change to make best use of the new technology. So we right with clinicians and others to make sure they understand what they need to do to make sure they get the best value from the software. And that, that sometimes is the harder bit actually because the people bit. Sometimes can be the heart of it, not the same. Yeah, and out, out of interest, like what? I mean, because obviously on on paper, it, I mean, it makes so much sense. I mean, it's like kind of you know makes <laughs> makes so much sense. What are the kind of obstacles or pushbacks, if any, that you get? Is it more on the kind of like, oh my goodness, this is just such a big change for us? It's not necessarily about the principle of what you're talking about, or, or maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, um, another good question. I, I think it's a mixture. It depends. It depends, but some themes you've touched on one, you know, hospitals are very busy. Um, they've been quite, you know, there's been under a lot of pressure. They've been in a crisis. Now's not the time to introduce a massive, you know, a change project. So never want to do that later, picking into the long grass. Yeah. That's a common one. Um, sometimes you would get, um, uh, particularly around the, the technology the incumbent has provider I've mentioned. So, well, we've got a module that does this. When I 
So I've yet to discover a module that does exactly it, but they don't do it. Right. It may satisfy someone that they think they've got what they need. But in our experience, when we just came back to hospital next week, actually, we started talking to you three years ago. We've come to that same conclusion that they, that they, don't, they don't have what they thought. So they've right. asked us for So there's a bit of that. Sometimes it could be um, um, a, a case of um, you know, resources, mainly people, sometimes money. Um, but I think, also, I think, I mean, just to finish on that, I think. Yeah, sometimes those are used, but I think fundamentally you, you've got to really understand that operationally to run a hospital is it needs it needs a specific focus. And a clinical system cannot do it, and an EMR cannot do it. You need yeah. focus on the operational side of things, and you cannot rely on paper and clipboards. No, you can't. I mean, that just so, doesn't. So I mean, you've got to, to understand even, that to, to even be to even be. I mean realistically are there people in who are fighting the corner for the paper and the clipboards i mean i mean not common yeah i think not i mean i think that the the and it's not a criticism of 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 you know, head managers or, or others who work in this very pressurized system but i think that you do get used to working in a certain way don't you yeah mm. and you work out how to cope with the pressure that you that you face every day and yeah. coming to you end up sort of in the end making something work it's not perfect as you do something you sort of get through the day and you think oh thank god for that i've got to lead you all again the next day and the next day and the next day yeah and i guess if you're in a system where you know the the there is such a huge amount of risk i.e if something goes wrong in a hospital it can directly impact someone's life basically is sort of the bottom line and so it's not like oh you know maybe we don't ship as many boxes of biscuits today you know, it, it's actually then if you have a system that works, however clunky it is, at least you have faith that it is working, you know, I guess. Yeah, I, th I think um, no, I think you're right. And, and the other um, the other piece of it, I mean, what, what I would say, look, we, we, we can demonstrate you can get more from your resources you currently you can do a better job with what you're currently doing in relation to bed management. But there are still complexities in relation to you know, discharges, social care. And I'm not saying we can solve all of that, but actually what we can start to do, and we're doing this in with one of our clients, is to spread the system to the community so that you've got the acute and the community using the same amount of same data and information and the same system, which actually does help in some situations. Um, so that would be the next thing, I think, that, that, that you would that makes sense. We're quite encouraged by, you know, the integrated care. Yeah, the ICSs. ICSs. I think that's, you know, hopefully they'll they they'll they'll want to sort of see that sort of system wide approach, and we we certainly we can we can help with that. Perfect. I think that all makes sense. So I know that you've got a lot of success outcomes and a lot of case studies, and and, and you know there are some are on the website, but some we talked about in our pre-show course. So could you just share some of that stuff to just you know to kind of make this tangible? Because obviously for a lot of people listening, this probably may seem slightly, I don't know, intangible, but there's so many great stories that you have around the success of your software. So yeah, what, you know, how would you like to sort of handle that question? I think the key one, if I can just focus on the key one, which is around um, this, this concept of this hidden voice that exists in, in relation to events. I think this is the, yeah. quite interesting. So once you start to, to measure these delays, 
right? You can then start to manage them. It's again, it's not rocket science, but you can start to do this. So once you start to manage these delays, you can shorten the time between patient admissions. Now, if you look at that across the NHS, and we've done some assessment of on this, there's about 165,000 deaths in the NHS. Um, not all of you, I think, but a good majority of them. Um, now, if 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 a good majority of hospitals um, and certainly around the use of their beds perform to what we would describe as our sort of practice, which would be around 90, 90 minutes between admissions, mm-hmm. you would unlock, we think, on a daily basis, 7,000 beds. Wow. So you, you could... I think that's okay. quite a large number. I, well, I, I, I mean, I, I, it sounds like a lot. So, like, yeah. it... it, it, it and what that means in reality, because again, people talk about beds, I think, in this sort of impersonal way. But what that yeah. what they mean that that means is that there are seven, potentially is this right? Seven thousand more people that could be treated on any given day because there is a bed for them. Certainly, up, up to that, it may not be quite that, but certainly, well, up, I, I know it's an estimate. Yeah, I mean, just, it, but yeah, so I mean, so it's it, the other way of looking. I mean, a large hospital would have a thousand beds, and it's seven hospitals, right? So yeah, you know, wow. so, you know, so wow. Okay, well, that's that's an amazing way to think about it. Yeah. Now, even if now we've said, well, even if we let's assume, you know, we can get challenged on the data, but let's assume we're half wrong, which right. it's, still, <laughs> it's, it's still three hospitals, three and a half. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So wow. we think there's something that needs ex- further further review about, you know, investigation. Right, and that's and that, but that and this is the thing. What you're not saying is it's three hospitals per year. It's like three hospitals a day that's like i mean that's that's kind of that's kind of amazing yeah so that's now i mean you'd need you know once you can start to manage this capacity this is the this is the thing that that hospitals then they've got a little bit you know so you unlock that capacity per hospital it could be a a, a ward or two wards yeah local hospitals can determine then what they want to do with it you know do you want to help reconfigure bed base to treat more patients in a certain way is it a focus on emergency shortening emergencies is it load balancing with neighbors you know it just helps facilitate other i mean if you i mean without wishing to use a kind of sort of impersonal business word but it just injects a huge amount of liquidity into the system and you yes and especially when it's you know there's many places haven't got anywhere to turn at the moment right right why wouldn't you just extract you've got to do more to get absolutely the maximum benefit from what you've got yeah um yeah i mean that's and and so with these those yeah i, I mean i think that, that that putting it in those kind of terms makes you sort of realize because again it's obviously my company pop dog we've just come off of the nhs accelerator and spoken to a huge number of clinicians off the back of it and it's a fantastic program that the nhs put together and it's you know one of one of many things where the nhs is is trying to bridge the gap between innovative private enterprise and you know the system in inverted commas. So all credit to them for trying to do that. Um, but, you know, a lot of the feedback that you get or that, that we've heard, not necessarily about us, but more just in general, is like, unless you can unlock a ward for me, then I'm not necessarily, I mean, if, if, what, you're, if what you're introducing into the system will unlock the, the equivalent of an entire ward, great. If not, I'm, I don't have a huge amount of time right now. Right, right. Yeah. And, and But this is... This is we, that, right? <laughs> we can absolutely do that. Absolutely do that. Right. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. 
and um, and what other kind of um, what have you has, have you got any kind of specific case studies around like individual you know hospitals or things like that where some certain things have gone really well or you know what, well what, we've got I mean the, the other capability of the system is you start to, you can obviously track um, track yeah, patients and and start some track staff so some are particularly it's a slightly different use case here but certainly having the ability to demonstrate when there were interact interactions with patients from clinical staff that certainly helps with uh, whether there be maybe complaints or issues that need to be investigated so we certainly have some strong use cases from some clients who do, who do that um, similarly using the, the sort of tracking technology is monitoring hand washing we've certainly done a bit of that you know which right. is a good quality benefit and the, and the other the other big one actually is certainly making better use of um of um, particularly nurses' time, but everyone's time actually. I mean, and and I think this is also important to sort of uh, a myth because I've heard it said that actually all we're interested in is making nurses work harder. Well, we're not interested in making nurses work harder. We're helping them work smarter to make better use of the time that they've got available. So we can certainly extract, if you like, you know, some of the wasted time they have on processes that don't really work. And I think I, I remember a statistic that said that about. A, a third of a clinician's time is spent on processes that just don't work very well. So right. it's quite a lot of wasted time, isn't it? So we can help tackle some of them, and that can be used, however, certainly for patient care, I would suggest, but, but you know, it, hopefully would Well, I mean, ultimately, it's not necessarily your choice or decision around what that extra time gets used in. You're just saying we're freeing up the time, guys. Time. time. Yeah, time to care is what we would say. But, yeah, you can use your, use your time more effectively. And it seems that, again, because... Time is pretty precious that we can help 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 with that. What a sort of ward and hospital. I mean, I would. I mean, we're going to break for the final commercial break in a second. But I mean, I would, I would, I would argue that time in the healthcare service at the moment is probably the most critical currency. No, with with backlogs, you know, things like that. Like, you can't automate care. In, in effect, you know, if, 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 people, if people have to go in and have a scan, someone needs to operate the scanner, someone needs to analyze the yeah. results, someone needs to talk to you. So, you know, you, 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 you can't scale it in a sort of, an, you can't throw, there's a limit to how much technology you can throw at the problem, yeah. basically. Um, yeah. So anyway, we've got a break for our final commercial break, which and we'll be back in two minutes for the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with Neil Griffiths from Teletracking. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchship.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% using the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchship.co.uk because nothing's better. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and our guest, Neil Griffith, the MD, uh, Managing Director of um, Teletracking, which um, focuses on improving efficiency in hospitals and clinical care settings. So, Neil, just before the break, we were kind of in the depths of exactly how teletracking can really help in the system. And, and you know, some of the potential upsides from this across the system are pretty astounding. And so, um, 
what's next for you guys in the next 12 to 24 months? I mean, obviously there's business as usual and things like that, but like, you know, cause I know that teletracking, is it, was it originally started in the US and now it's, it, it, it's in the UK, but please what's, what's up for the next, you know, 12, 24 months. Yeah, well, we well, we've got a couple of things. I mean, certainly from our perspective in the, in the, NH, in the NHS, we, we're, working you know in, in partnership with our current partners to really help them do do more and more and as i've already mentioned you know things are expanding beyond the, the walls of the hospital to the to the um, you know, local community providers and dis- discharge providers um and i think that's the and I've, I've mentioned it already but i think the next big thing for us is you know how can we help and support the emerging integrated care systems or you know partnerships that are developing because we think that certainly there's a role that we can play in terms of giving that visibility and making best use of hospital capacity across the system. So we're pretty excited about that. So that's an mm-hmm. So we've got some, you know, we're looking at a platform and seeing what we can do to develop to support that, that agenda, um, which is pretty exciting. And then also we've just most recently been doing some work in Germany. So we're, we, we're, we've secured our first um, uh, hospital partnership in Germany. So we're, we're spending some time there just to, you know, it's similar way. It's also, it's, it's Slightly different in Germany, it's much bigger for starters, 2,000 hospitals over there, so it's it's much bigger than the, the UK, but they've got a similar set of challenges, and um, so, so that's that's pretty exciting for us as well. Mm. It's quite interesting working across different countries actually, because you know they're, they're obviously the system itself is different, but often the the, the hospitals face the same challenges whether you're in Germany, UK, or Pittsburgh, it's really very similar. I'm increasingly right. how similar the challenges are really. Yeah, I think, it, you know, exactly, because whatever the system behind the hospital is, how it's funded, how it, all that kind of stuff, actually the front line, if you like, yeah, I could yeah. see being pretty similar, right? Yeah, yeah, no, completely, completely. And it's, um, you know, the, if you look at um, Germany, particularly their hospitals are quite um, uh, siloed in a sense. They've got d- departments that are very strongly managed and you know, they've got a doctor at the head of each department but they don't they look at strong vertical arrangements but they don't really do a horizontal arrangement for managed hospital. they don't have chief operating officers really so they're looking I mean they are developing that whereas the NHS compared to, to that is much more advanced I mean there's been yeah. you know hospital-wide initiatives for a while so um yeah, that's that's quite different but you know the same the same sort of challenges exist and do you think that that's due to the funding? Is, is the Germany is Germany a kind of semi-private? It's insurance. Yeah, they're, right? they're a private. Yeah, it's a mixed mixed model. There's private private hospitals, big private chains there, and then there's sort of state-run, if you like, and federal state-run yeah. public hospitals. Um, their system is different. Is that they get paid more? That every patient they treat, they get paid. In addition, it was similar to what we had in the NHS with payment by results. So they, so right. it's a bit easier to make easy to load for for um, you know, developing an investment, whereas it's slightly different here. But um, but yeah, they've got a lot to go at. But the government in Germany has put in um, uh, well, about 4 billion euros to help modernise the the digital infrastructure of hospitals. So, so, right. so they recognise they've got quite a lot. Got quite a lot yeah, I remember, um, I remember a few years ago, the Germans, the German sort of government, or the Ger- they sort of had a big panic when they realised that the UK was sort of significantly ahead in sort of digital health and they sort of had this kind of like 
oh dear moment i can't say what i was gonna say because i'm live on the radio but an oh dear moment when they realized like oh my goodness maybe we're a bit behind the curve now they've come a huge amount they've come even further than we have because they've got the di the diga thing which is like the digital prescription act where you know you you can actually um if you download and if if your if your application can be anything you know weight management diets it could be diabetes management could be a whole range of different things if you use those apps um, the owners of them will get re- immediately reimbursed. So you don't have to be prescribed them or anything like that by your doctor, but you can just go and use them, download them and use them. And the, the, the developers or the owners of those businesses will get reimbursed directly from the, from the health system, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think they've got, there's a lot going on there for sure. And then, and then in um, North America, you know, where we're at, I mean, we, we continue to support the, the federal government over there post-COVID in terms of helping their a grip on you know, the, the uh, review of capacity across the system. So that's some, some good work going on there. And, then, and interestingly, in, in, in North America, they've got some large hospital chains uh, who run you know, 150 hospitals who are, who are now standardising an approach to patient flow, which is what we do across all hospitals, which is exactly what the NHS needs to do. So yeah, going over there. So we've got some good case studies over there, so what I think the NHS needs to needs to sort of look at across the piece. I imagine in the U, I imagine in the US, they must love what you guys are doing. I, yeah, I, they, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, because we can, we can see that immediately see that the value in terms of increasing activity, increasing throughput, and, and absolutely, and and they're slightly further ahead on the on the digital. I mean, they they you know, meaningful use led to you know a huge amount of investment in. Obviously, digital infrastructure. A lot of that went into EMRs, and actually, what yeah. EMRs do not have the capability to provide operational improvement. So there's quite, right. you know, and a request for us to support doing that. Right. We sit nicely, you know, nicely alongside a clinical system. You know, so most hospitals, all hospitals, I would say, need a good clinical system and they need a good operational system to work working tandem together. That uh, makes sense, and um, so. With the last kind of few minutes of the show, the last sort of five or so minutes, we like to try and sort of get under the skin of, of what keeps our guests kind of ticking and what kind of keeps them on their mission. And, and I think given that your, your background, having you know, run such a large number of hospitals with thousands and thousands of people, which, I mean, everyone in hospitals who works in the NHS does a phenomenal job in generally speaking, pretty difficult circumstances. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's not a walk in the park at all by, by any stretch of the imagination. And so how, did, like, first of all, do you, did you in your in your training receive sort of training about how to keep people motivated in those difficult circumstances, or is it just something that you sort of learn on the job? Good question. It's a bit, I'd say it's a bit of both. Um, okay. A bit of both. I mean, I did. I mean, I did a uh, did an MBA and and and, and uh, other you know, similar things. But you do learn a lot, an awful lot, as you as you progress through the through through the system, really, and you can. Look to very inspirational colleagues and leaders, which I I was good fortune to work with and see how they see how they operate. Um, for sure, you know, and um, it's hard because I mean, I've got a full admiration for everyone who works in the in the NHS. And I, I think it's a fantastic system, and we should be very proud to have it in, in this country. But it's you know, it doesn't mean you can't also you want to work with it to improve bits of it. Which is yeah, no, of course. Um, and so, like, how did you kind of keep people or stay on your mission, you know, or, and keep people sort of motivated? Like, what were some of the lessons that, that you found worked really well or things that, you know, that, that you found to be particularly effective 
in those circuits because you're also dealing with a huge wide range of people that do all kinds of different things yeah. Yeah. you know like yeah i think sometimes you've got to you've got to pick um you've got to pick your moment to talk about certain certain things i mean if you're constantly talking about cost cutting you're not going to make it <laughs> So, so yeah. you know, there's a t- you know, but that's important. But it is the use of money is important. So, but you've got to pick your moment. You've got to try and you know work that through sensibly and and, mm-hmm. and sort of read the read the sort of mood of the organisation. Really, that's also quite important. You know, and you can certainly sometimes you can sort of sense when there's there's high levels of you know even high levels of stress around a certain sort of, you know, situation. So you've got to be sensitive to that. But I think you've also got to be very clear and honest actually that, that about why it's important to do certain things and you know what why we're you know why effort is being made to you know short waiting times and and all the rest of it. You know, you've got to you just gotta be honest about that and mm. you can and 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 be balanced. You know, but you know, this is where fortune's got some good people in it. So it sometimes doesn't get that much to, to, to motivate them. And when and you know, because obviously every now and again the NHS makes changes and not changes direction but they have things like the 10-year forward view and then the five-year plan and then the you know there there are there are systemic changes that get introduced and you know and how which how how do you kind of talk to staff about those things because I don't know it must be quite hard because that those things I'm sure you would get consulted on them in some way shape or form but they may well happen completely outside of your sort of purview in terms of decision making and yet you then have to sort of explain to staff okay we now have another kind of a change or different targets or now we're being I don't know now we have to we're not we're not results or we're not we're not being tracked on results we're being tracked on this other thing and things like that like how does that sort of play out well it's um yeah that can be tricky (laughs) It's yeah, tricky. but at the, at the at the core of it, actually, some and again, it's about picking your moment. But at the core of it, it's all it's always about treating patients, isn't it? And patient care, you know. So if you've always got to come back to that, and some of the other stuff you can just see in the in the context is it's all about doing that, you know. So so I think that's and most people, you know, I mean, most everyone sort of understands that. Sometimes people take, you know, my experience, you know. Some of the changes to, to, to how a bit wider system operates with a bit of a pinch of salt because it doesn't affect their day to day to day working, which is treating patients. Right. And it's back to how you might, you know, interpret, interpret that um, for, for the organisation you might be running. Right, that makes sense. And you know, what is there? Are there sort of what, what would you say the the best bits of private, the the sort of private corporate space? What would be the two or three th- or the, the best bits of that that you think the NHS could benefit from? Um, obviously, without losing everything that makes the NHS so amazing and special. But if there were like one or two things that you could, if you could wave a magic wand and kind of bring them over, obviously, other than putting teletracking into every single hospital in the UK. But apart from, apart from that. Oh, yeah, you said it, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I think the big thing, actually, for me is the, is the amount of time it takes to get something done. We can get them very quickly, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean we don't think about it, and we're not thoughtful, and we're not careful. And but, but the speed with which you can do stuff is, I think the NHS needs to look, you know, needs to try and speed up. And I'm, you know, but that would be a big, big thing, big thing, because it's you know, time, as you said earlier, time is important. You know, the longer time goes on. Yeah, and the longer nothing changes, you know, you're sort of, 
Yeah. So even if you're trying to like, try something, if it doesn't work, try something again. You know, do just create a bit of mm. bit of momentum. Bit of momentum. I, I and I, th- I think that I think that the private sector or the, you know certainly my you know we we can do that and and you sort of if things don't work you just dust yourself off. Yeah. It's really interesting actually because you know I think I would I'm guessing that the counter argument to that from people within the NHS system would be something around like well you know. We, we, we're dealing with patient health and we have to be sure, you know, and we have to be certain before we do anything and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's yeah. like, well, hold up a second. You know, you, you have businesses that build planes that transport people 20,000 V up in the air and they have a risk assessment system and medical yeah. devices like our company. There's a very clear risk assessment. There's a very clear process. I said, one, two, four, eight, five, whatever it happens to be. And so like, you can't just say, well, everyone in the private space just goes flies by the seat of their pants. It's just not necessarily yeah. true, right? No, 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 no. I don't mean that at all. But I think no, no, no. But I mean, like, yeah, I meant more yeah. like I think that's sort of yeah. the counter argument, right? Which is yeah, like, I can say oh, that, yeah. But, yeah, but, but it's not but, true. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it is. You know, because I think it, you know, it, it, momentum creates the ability to try things and and you know not not rely on the, the status quo, put up with things that are sort of average. Yeah. So you can raise standards, you know. I would agree. Um, good. Well, look, I think that we're um, we're at the end of the show, Neil. It was great to have you on. And as I said, I was super excited to get you on just because I love learning about this type of stuff. And I hope everyone listening has learned a huge amount from, from you. So Neil Griffiths, Managing Director of Teletracking, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Thank you. And um, thanks to everyone for listening. And what I will say just before the show finishes is that um, next week's show is a very special show. So keep an eye out. There's going to be some marketing, but it's going to be a, a it's a very, very special show with a very special guest. Um, it's a, it's an exclusive for the, for the, for the health tech hour and for the, for the station. So please make sure that you tune in next week and we'll release more information later in the week. So thanks for listening. Introduced me to your family. Watched my favorite shows on your TV. Made me breakfast in the morning when you got home from work. Making plans to travel around the world. Said we'd always put each other first. Old love songs we used to play to. Funny now I hate you. Now I remember. Just trying to fix you And all your daddy issues But now I don't even miss you anymore So I I want all the tears back that I cried All the hours spent giving advice On how to write your songs All you did was prove me wrong When you said you loved me Well you must have had your fingers crossed Should have paid attention to my friends